0: We have an exciting guest on the show today. Dr. Ingrid Skop is an associate scholar at the Charlotte Lozier Institute and a fellow at the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and a member of um, the fellow of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and in over 25 years of private practice, she has cared for many women who have been harmed physically and emotionally from complications due to abortion. She has provided expert witness testimony to several states in favor of restrictions on abortion in order to enhance patient safety. She serves as a chairman of the board of Any Woman Can, a pregnancy resource center that provides support and free counseling to women in crisis. And she serves on the board of the Source for Women, Texas, which is a consortium of full-service women centers with a Christian worldview. Dr. Ingrid Scott made headlines recently at the end of September for testifying on the Hill for the Women's Health Protection Act, which I've shared with you guys about before on the show. It would essentially codify Roe v. Wade into federal law, wipe out every state-level restriction and pro-life legislation that's been passed, um, uh, fund abortion permanently with our tax dollars. It's, it's, it's a nightmare of a bill that uh, n- 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 won't surprise you. Kamala Harris was behind co-sponsoring initially. And so they tried to rip her a new one, but wasn't prepared to hand her, handle her expert testimony. So we wanted to bring Dr. Ingrid Scott on the show today to talk about abortion, to talk about her contending for life in the public square on Capitol Hill um, and what she does for women, for children, and for the posterity of the country. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. (laughs) Dr. Ingrid, welcome to the show today.
1: Thank you, Seth. I'm so glad to be here.
0: Absolutely. Uh, We have a couple mutual friends, and it's fun to get connected with people who have been so faithfully contending for life because uh, we're really only in this position uh, because good people um, who are pro life haven't done enough or done nothing at all to actually contend for the life of the pre born. Uh, but you've been faithful for some time and we're big fans of Charlotte Lozier Institute and of course of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, uh, (laughs) since ACOG is one big joke of a pro-abortion organization. (laughs) Um, But you got in in hot water again recently. At the end of September, they were having testimonies uh, on Capitol Hill for the Women's Health Protection Act, which has been a pipe dream piece of legislation that the Democrats have been pushing for a while, I think initially co-sponsored by Kamala Harris, um, because it would essentially codify Roe v. Wade into federal law. And I did an episode on this uh, at the time of the the nightmare that would happen legislatively uh, if something like that ever got through. Uh, But you were one of the pro-life voices and they weren't very happy with you. And they even uh, suggested that you should maybe have your medical license revoked, which was a heck of a statement. Um, but I want you to just share sort of, um, your heart. I want our listeners to get associated with you. Um, I think most of our listeners are, are just good men and women, Christians who love the Lord and have become awakened to the pro-life issue more recently, and maybe not as involved in the pro-life movement. So they may not be familiar with you. So why don't you share kind of how you got involved with the issue of life, um, and where God has brought you now?
1: It has been an amazing journey, um. I was born into a very pro-life family. In fact, I'm the oldest of six kids. There's 21 grandkids. My parents <laughs> love children. And, and, and so I, I was raised in that environment. I became an obstetrician. And when I had my own three children, I sort of realized once again how amazing life was. Um, hmm. But I was, I was perplexed because in the field of obstetrics and gynecology, it's not something that doctors talk about. Um, the reality is that women across the country know where to go for an abortion, and it's not their obstetrician. So many times they will come, uh, and they've seen you the year before, they come and they tell you, well, I had a contraceptive failure and I had an abortion, but they never come to us. So most ob mm. are able to sit on the sidelines, not address the issue. Yeah. They believe, like so many people, that prior to Roe there were thousands and thousands of septic abortions which we know is not true the numbers were just pulled out of thin air in order to um legalize the procedure and so they they don't take a stand which to me i i find amazing it's it's one of our patients one we're not advocating for the life of one of our patients and um so as you can see i'm i'm very outspoken about it i've been wanting to get involved in the fight in a bigger way for a long time i've written, I've been involved in some state-level legislation, um, but about a week before this hearing, when I got the invitation, I realized this was the opportunity to really jump into the fight, and it has been an amazing ride. Um, I believe I was invited because I'm a Texas pro-life obstetrician, and okay. the stated purpose of the um, hearing was to talk about Texas um, new law, the Heartbeat Act. Yeah. Um It was interesting that several uh, Republican congressmen made the point over and over during the hearing. It's the House Oversight Committee. It's supposed to have oversight on the executive branch, but they've held no hearings on COVID. They've held no hearings on Afghanistan, on the border crisis, but they've actually held two or three hearings on Texas, and they have no jurisdiction over Texas. So uh, that's right. That was uh, that was that was quite an experience.
0: That's right. Well, that's why we always say to the listener to this show what I always talk about, Dr. Ingrid, is that, um, is that what the, the public doesn't understand, what the church doesn't understand, is that abortion is actually the, the high sacrament of secular progressivism, um, and they will unify to protect that alleged right more so than any other political priority. Uh, And so it doesn't surprise me at all that that they've had multiple hearings on abortion because (laughs) that really is the centerpiece of secular progressivism. And if they can't invert the right to life, their entire political project begins to fall apart, which then means anyone who opposes their regime and what they're focusing on is the greatest enemy right? And, and that's why every Chiron and headline um, when a Supreme Court seat opened up during the Trump administration was all about abortion. Not about immigration, not about drug laws, not about transgender bathroom laws, about abortion. And so, of course, you're now a domestic terrorist, as am I, according, apparently, to <laughs> to Merrick Garland, the disgruntled, pissed-off lawyer who was denied a seat on the Supreme Court because I blasted my school board for their kooky Planned Parenthood sex ed. And as we know now, parents who try to seek the good of their children at school boards are domestic terrorists. And so it's no surprise that they treated you in a similar way as well. Um, What was that like? Um, Obviously, um, you've been contending for life for a while, but maybe not uh, like in a hearing. Uh, on the hill, what was that like? and And what did you experience in terms of the energy in the room?
1: To be perfectly honest, I feel like God had had me in his arms the entire time. I felt very prepared um, with my knowledge. I, I knew Good. what I wanted to say. i was I was the only pro-life witness, by the way, and there were quite a few wow. that were there to talk about their abortions and and um, those experiences. But um, um, I had five minutes to to say very quickly what I wanted to say, but then there was about four hours of additional questioning by the committee members. I, probably at least half of that was directed at me. Some of it was um, trying to get more information out there um, by the Republicans, um, but a lot of it was directed at me personally in, in a threatening way. Um, uh, there, my daughter was brought up in conversation in the context of um, what would I do if she was raped um, and was pregnant. Um, I was called a racist at least a half a dozen times because no. I pointed Sorry. out the the inconvenient fact that we have now killed more black babies than were than black people were alive at the time of the civil rights movement. I just That's want right. these babies to have a chance to be born the the black community unfortunately has a an abortion rate over three times as high as the white community there's a very much a eugenic component to the push for abortions that's almost never talked about um so it was it was interesting but i i felt comfortable i made it through the hearing uh had to hop on a plane um, and leave early but to tell you the truth i have not gone back and revisited it i have not looked at it again i I, uh, I'm just gonna, gonna keep on moving. Um, unfortunately, there's been quite a bit of pushback to my own personal private practice. Um, yep. And that was uh, maybe expected, but I'm in a group of 20 something doctors, and there's been pushback against them. And they weren't even, it was my personal opinion. It, but I That's think right. it just goes to show how angry people are at the thought yep. that they're not gonna be able to keep the sacrament potentially right. much longer.
0: That's right. That reminds me, Dr. Ingrid, of one of the, uh, the terms in the lexicon of the left, or phrases rather, is silence is violence. Do you remember that one? Uh, so if you weren't speaking out against what the left calls systemic racism, um, and they call, then they call the, the, the white people who they call racist, but who call themselves racist and therefore partner with BLM, they call those people allies. But then if you don't uh, speak their words and recite their liturgy, they say, well, silence is violence, which is actually a strange progressive um, inversion of a, of, a, of a more Christian conservative uh, term, and, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said that, uh, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. They're, se- they're saying a similar thing, but with an entirely sort of different set of, of political philosophies and, and ideologies that undergird that statement, and so, so that goes back to how they're treating the members of your committee, or of your gathering of doctors, is that they weren't even there. But if they're not speaking out against you and calling you a racist, because don't you know pro-life laws disproportionately hurt black women, so it's really the pro-lifers who are racist, then if Dr. Ingrid's friends aren't (laughs) calling her a racist and telling her to shut up and repent uh, and, and, and join the religion of secular progressivism, then silence is violence, and they have to be held accountable as well. And this is why the church and pro-lifers need to start fighting harder with a sense of urgency, because the left has been doing that so long. And if we don't meet them with the same level of intensity, um, we will lose this war and more unborn children will be killed. Um, But you have a level of moral and spiritual clarity that is unfortunately lost on most pulpits today who don't understand what time it is. Um, But of course, the left was infuriated uh, with you because you came so well-repaired. There was a Yahoo News piece uh, in the, the headline here was an abortion provider shut down an anti-choice OBGYN, that's you, for quote, spreading medical misinformation at a house oversight hearing. Uh, And there were a bunch of pieces like this. So um, I want to dive into some of this. Um, Dr. Gazale Moyedi from Texas, she's an an abortion provider in Texas, uh, told you that you could lose your board certification during the hearing for spreading medical misinformation. Um, Now, any time that the left uses the word uh, science or or medical information, you should immediately be skeptical about whether that's true or not, because they say that unborn babies are not humans and they're not persons and that boys can be girls and girls can be boys. That's the (laughs) science of leftism, which means any time they use the science card to attack conservatives, we should immediately wonder whether that science is science or whether it's a sticker they slap over their bigotry. So take us through that. Um, conversation and inter- interaction where where your statement, your opening statement, was, was being attacked as communicating medical inf- misinformation and maybe you should have your license revoked. What was the content of that conversation?
1: So that was in um, uh, the context of discussing medical abortion. And um, your listeners may not know, but medical abortion is being heavily promoted to women. And in fact, the FDA is... Um, has temporarily, because of the COVID pandemic, removed the in-person restrictions that have governed it for 20 years. Um, And they're considering next month, well, in December, taking away the restrictions entirely. That means that no doctor ever lays a hand on the woman, that no one does an ultrasound to see how far along she is, to make sure she's right about how, how advanced her pregnancy is. No one makes sure the pregnancy is in the uterus. No one rules out an ectopic pregnancy. Medical abortion pills don't work on ectopic pregnancies. They can rupture, and women have died. Um, They don't check to see if they have an RH negative status where they need a rogam shot to prevent future pregnancy complications. Um, They they just want to be able to provide it by telemedicine, by um, mail order. Because it's going to further their agenda of killing babies, but it's not going to make it safe for women. We call it a chemical (laughs) coat hanger. So in that context, we were discussing medical abortion, and I quoted to her some um, statistics out of the Norwegian countries, the Scandinavian countries. They have single-payer health care. They have excellent record-keeping. And when you look at their data, you discover that one out of five women who have a medical abortions have complications. and Um, Many of those women, one out of 20 at least, need surgery to complete the abortion. So here they are. They're using a pandemic where they say we can't overwhelm the health system. So let's just send these pills in the mail to women. And um, like that's not going to create complications and overwhelm the health system when women are coming to emergency rooms hemorrhaging. So that's what so she made the point that it's so safe. And of course, that's based on Planned Parenthood's data. They look right. at their own charts and they go, "Oh, well, look, we don't have many repor- complications reported." Well, you know why? Because they show up in my emergency room.
0: That's right. To go right. back
1: to the abortion provider who didn't tell them that they were going to have a complication. So, so the that's data right. in the United States is very flawed. Um, I made that point to her, and she made the point to me that the American Board of OBGYN would would take my board certification. Um, and it is true that there's the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology and the American Board, um, although they're not the same organization, they both have the same very pro-choice ideology. Yeah. and they do put pressure on their members not to speak, not yeah. not you know, to just <clears> y'all, y'all y'all just stay in the sidelines and don't get engaged in this issue. Later in the discussion, um, when we were talking about the maternal mortality of black women, and I, I'm very interested in this topic because I think there's a lot of things that play into it. I think that obviously poverty is a huge factor, but part of the reason that so many black women lived in impoverished lives is that the men who impregnated them are nowhere to be seen. Their unmarried childbirth rate is 67%. So two out of three of them do not have a supportive partner. And so I was mentioning various things that could factor in. There are genetic things. Some of, you know, hypertension, uh, diabetes, obesity, some of those are related to poverty, so there's a lot of overlap. But when I told, when I mentioned this, she said, no, that's not true. There are no genetic differences, which is like medical school 101, that yes, there are <laughs> genetic differences. But, and I kind of was taken back and I said, well, what is the reason for the for the discrepancy? And she said, um, systematic racism, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, well, if we're gonna, if I'm gonna get reported to the board for for my disinformation, then I, you know, I'll be happy to let them know about that little statement as well. Cause I don't <laughs> yeah, think yeah, there's yeah. anything to back that. But uh, yeah. Anyway, it was it was an interesting uh, back and forth. But uh, yeah, I think she was not expecting me to have as much data at my fingertips right. as I did, and and she wasn't really sure how to respond to that problem. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's right. Well, because if if. Uh, if the um, discrepancies can be um, explained by multiple factors, then they can't um, myopically assert that it's simply because of systemic racism. And if they can't do that, then they can't blame all those white people. Um, And then therefore they can't prop up their political regime and accomplish their political goals. Um, In fact, to your point about how dangerous medication abortion is, um, there's been some studies, one in particular, showing that chemical abortions have a fourfold higher rate of complications than first mm-hmm. trimester surgical abortions. And that's from the National Library of Medicine, National Center for Biotechnology Information, a study uh, called, from t- 2009 called immediate complications after medical compared with surgical termination of pregnancy, um, for those who want to look at that. So for a, a group, <laughs> Dr. Ingrid, who says that they're all about the health of women, and keeping abortions safe. Uh, it's so funny that their priority in the last year and a half has not been surgical, which, if you don't care about the pre-born at all, because abortion's not safe, because it's not safe to kill people, but even if you factor out the pre-born human, um, you, then you would have to say, well, we need to focus on surgical then, if, if our primary concern is the safety of women. But their overwhelming motivation in the last year and a half, and frankly, longer than that, right, um, has been medication abortions, mail order murder, chemical abortions because they can make a heck of a lot more money. You don't have to employ abortionists. You don't have to pay for brick and mortar abortion centers. You don't have to pay for the third party vendors to come with the big hazardous waste containers to dump the limbs of the children and take them away. You don't have to fly abortionists in some more pro-life states all across the state or from out of state to perform abortions. Oh my gosh, and you have a cheap to manufacture sell at high margins pill that you can just snail mail to women on their college campus. I mean, obviously the priority here is not health or safety, even for pro-choicers, it's just money. So shocker, the woman, the women who they say they exist to serve also becomes a sacrifice, like the pre-born child mm-hmm. um, on Absolutely. the altar of abortion access. But Dr. Inger, can you talk a little bit about this? We've talked about this on our show before with Dr. Brent Bowles, who's a good friend of the show and serves as the medical director for Heartbeat International and uh, delivered babies for over 30 years. Um, he's an OBGYN as well and also a, a part of APLOG. But we've talked about this claim that the left makes, that abortion is actually safer than childbirth. In fact, they point to one study in particular and they say, Dr. Ingrid, look at this study. Uh, abortion is 14 times safer than childbirth, 14 times safer. And so if you really care about women, uh, I guess what's the rational conclusion you'd come away with? Always get an abortion, always, because it's, it's safer. It's a, and you have this Planned Parenthood black community tweet from a few years ago that said, that said, um, scary stats. It said, scary stats. It, it is statistically safer for a black woman to get an abortion in America uh, than to give birth. Um, so that, firstly, that sounds a little bit systemically racist to me, Dr. Ingrid. But um, can you walk through the data and unpack this claim for our listeners? Because we're hearing yeah. this a lot right now with Texas, right? and with, and with, with Dobbs versus Jackson with the Supreme Court. The, the, the way the, one of the primary arguments they're unifying and making um, and I think they're doing it because they know that they can get more moderates on board uh, with supporting their regime because that argument okay. appeals more to moderates. um is that, well, it's safer. So I, I, yeah, I don't want to hurt women by forcing them to give birth. Uh, help us unpack this.
1: yeah, the the study, um, the one of the lead authors used to be he's a he's a very outspoken abortionist, and he used to be the head of the CDC Surveillance Division of abortion- related mortality. Is it Grimes Grimes. He knows how bad the data is because he used to manage it for the CDC. So long story short, death certificates do not usually record the abortion, even if the abortion led to the death. And there's many reasons. Primarily, women are not usually cared for by the abortionist when they have a complication. They go to a hospital and they're cared for by another doctor who may be unaware of the abortion. Right. They may be ideologically disposed to leave it off because it is such a political subject. Right. Um, and even in terms of um, maternal mortality of women at term, we know that we don't even pick up 50% of those on death certificates. Um, mm. The... Um, the Finnish studies that we referenced earlier, um, they've done mortality studies, and what they found is that 94% of abortion-related deaths there, and the way they were able to detect them is they knew every woman who died, and they knew every every woman who had an abortion, so they were able to link the link the records. Right. 94% of them were not documented on the death certificate. So even in a country with great record keeping, 19 wow. out of 20 are missed. So who knows how many we miss here? So. That's number one problem. We have no idea how many deaths are related to abortion. Number two is that they actually um, used two different denominators. The abortion-related deaths were related to 100,000 legal abortions. The maternal mortality deaths were related to 100,000 live births. They didn't even use the same denominator. So how you can say 14 times safer when you're comparing apples and oranges beats me. Um, And... um, there's just there's so many ways that abortion can lead to a death. And I think a big topic that we have no way of unpacking is mental health, okay? So mm. a woman, say she's coerced into abortion. Say she's coerced into an abortion at twenty two weeks because that happens. Right. Relationships change. She tried to hide it from her parents. They um, you know, found out and and took her down to an abortion clinic. The CDC's own data tells us that that woman's risk of dying from the abortion, is 76 times higher than if she'd had an abortion at 8 weeks. So we know that those late dismemberment wow. blind procedures are very very dangerous for women. Right. So um so that you know that can happen but so they can have direct complications but also if if that distresses her to have been coerced into a late abortion after she was feeling her baby move you know and she commits suicide on the anniversary of the abortion, or she um, uh, becomes a high risk taker. Is driving right. while drunk? Is um, uh, you know, dabbles in drugs, overdoses. None of those things get picked up. But I think if you look at the story, you can acknowledge that abortion may have led to that woman's death, but we have no way of of knowing that. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Um, and additionally abortions can lead to death in a subsequent pregnancy. So one of the things that we do know about surgical abortions and any kind of surgical instrumentation is it can lead to an abnormal um, adherent placenta the next time around. So the next time when she has Mm. a baby once, maybe it's a placenta previa lying over her cervix, or maybe it's grown into the uterus. That's called an accreta. Or maybe it's not well-attached and it separates prematurely. That's called a a placenta um, abruption. Any of those things can lead to the mother's Mm -hmm. death. No one's ever gonna relate that to the abortion. Um,
0: Right, right.
1: Preterm labor, there's good data that women who have abortions are at a higher risk to deliver a baby early the next time. When a woman comes to me and she's 22 weeks and she's got ruptured membranes and she's in preterm labor and I'm trying to save her baby, the interventions I give her may increase her risk of mortality. The medications are toxic. The risk of infection um, if she's ruptured her membranes so there's so many ways yeah. that abortion can lead to a woman's death that we have no way of calculating. Wow. Um, so anyway, so that study is just purely for political purposes. It's clear. Yeah. Um, just like the five to 10,000 women dying yearly before Roe is just yeah. pure made up out of the air in order to— um, Uh, advance of political
0: agenda. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And Dr. Bernard Nathanson admitted that in his book, Aborting Mm -hmm. America, that he just made up those figures. So, yeah, so not only then um, is, are the CDC and these institutions getting this data on maternal mortality from the abortion centers and the abortionists, um, (laughs) who the woman is not returning to, to report complications. But additionally, there could be all of these other future impacts of abortion, some of which could lead to maternal mortality, um, that um, nobody has enough knowledge or data to be able to prove that this is a direct result of that initial abortion, because none of this is really being tracked. And the abortion industry is the least regulated uh, industry probably uh, in medicine today. That no one's going in to ensure, ensure, ensure compliance. Um, with any of these things. So, wow. So that's that's why they threatened that you should have your, your license uh, revoked. Um, it's almost as if it's not about science, Dr. Ingrid, but it's about power. Uh, would, would you look at that? Um, as we begin t- to wrap up here, I'd love for you to speak to a little bit of the, the breaking edge here of the abortion wars and the future so that our listeners can be prepared to understand what the future holds and also how we can contend. Um, so, we encourage people on this show to do sidewalk counseling for example you know i tell people if you want to know how you would have lived in 1940s germany or 1850s america it's how you're living on abortion today Um, and if you said that you would have been outside of concentration camps or you would have been a harriet tubman underground railroading it so hard uh, then your answer is is the degree to which you engage abortion today Um, but with medication abortion dr ingrid you can't just show up outside of an abortion center and plead for the life of the child and promise to help mom and dad. Uh, the, the, the poison is showing up in the mailbox. Um, how, how do, where's the last line of defense for that child? And of course, for how that can or will harm the mother uh, because medication abortions could be four, four full-time more dangerous than surgical abortions. So I've talked with my listeners and for you guys, I'll give you a brief overview, of the risk evaluation mitigation strategy where the in-person safety regulations, Dr. Ingrid just spoke to a few minutes ago they're going to get rid of all of that so you can just ship this all around the country. Women will die from ectopic pregnancies that weren't diagnosed, and they'll also die bleeding out or dying from uh, from sepsis or other infections because they had part of a baby still floating around in their uterus because they took the medication abortion at 12 or 13 weeks when they thought they were eight or nine weeks. So um, how is Charlotte Lozier Institute and and Susan B. Anthony List and these other organizations and you personally? Where, How does this battle proceed um, beyond simply just the church waking up and getting godly men and women elected to, to get mm-hmm. rid of these federal bureaucracies and and and, and abortion? Uh, what are the next steps here, and how do you foresee this battle continuing um, when this is a quicker way, an easier way, and a cheaper way to kill babies, and a harder way for pro-lifers to protect mm-hmm.
1: them? Mm-hmm. I am firmly convinced that... We are not going to legislate our way out of this problem. Even if, hopefully, the the the, tr- the uh, court allows us to re-examine Roe, even if states set up their own um, legislation and 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 do the will of their people, the laws are not going to stop abortion. What's going to stop abortion is changing hearts and minds. And so I would say that the very first thing I would advise pro-life people who want to get involved is to educate themselves. Um, you mentioned uh, the American Association of Pro-Life OB/GYN. Um, they have a website that has a resources page that is amazing. We've got all the big, the preterm birth, the breast cancer, the um, any topic, any medical topic that they wanna know about, is there. it's in there and it's very well referenced. So you don't have to just repeat, well, I heard somebody say this. You can say, you know right. what? That's from the Nanamiki paper that you mentioned, 2009. So, and there's no reason that the average pro-life person, even if they're not in medicine, can't educate themselves to these statistics and start educating their friends. Um, It has been my experience that most Americans have no idea how extreme we are. Most of them have no idea that Roe allows a a up until birth because of the woman's age or because of her social situation. They have no idea. They don't know that we're one of only seven countries in the world that will electively kill a baby that can survive separated from its mother. So the very first step is education. Certainly, um, you know, electing good people is important, and I think the states, as far as the medical um, abortion supervision goes, I think the states are gonna have to start regulating that. If the FDA is not gonna help, and if the federal government doesn't care, the states are gonna have to set up restrictions and say, you know what, you can't do that in our state. You can't mail those pills into our state. And I believe there's about 10 states already that have legislation on the books, and there's more that are looking at it. So that's gonna be important. you mentioned the church. The church doesn't realize that half of the women in abortion clinics come out of the church. I mean, this is not an issue that is that is independent of us. And there's women in the pews hurting because they've had abortion. There's men in the pews that are hurting because they talked a woman into an abortion. Yeah. Pastors don't address it, and and they're missing a an opportunity to bring the children of God back into alignment with his will and his
0: That's
1: right. um, forgiveness. So uh, yes, I would love to see the church engage this issue, um, but we just have to keep bringing it up and talking and and um, uh, and persisting and it's, um, uh, I feel like I talk about it too much and my family and friends probably get tired of hearing me talk about it, but I, I can't help it. I'm so passionate yeah. about it because it's it's hurting so many women. And it's hurting families and it's hurting men and it's hurting society, not just the babies, but society as a whole is suffering because we've allowed this elective destruction of human life for for very elective reasons That's in right. almost every case. That's right.
0: Mm-hmm. And we've become apathetic to it. It's become mm-hmm. so normalized that we've become mm-hmm. so conditioned to accept this great evil as part of the American experiment and part of the American republic. Mm-hmm. And as I tell churches all the time, Dr. Ingrid, and what I try to rattle the souls of Mm -hmm. the church to wake up and realize is that not only should you protect the preborn for unselfish reasons, because you've been told to love your neighbor, and this is a genocide, but you (laughs) should also seek to end abortion for selfish reasons, right? In order to protect your own rights, right? Lincoln once said Mm -hmm. that in giving freedom to the slave, we assure freedom to the free. And we might paraphrase Lincoln today to say, in giving life to the pre-born, we assure life to the born. Um, We've been putting in place the premises that justify our own mistreatment and enslavement, Uh, which reminds me of something um, Dr. Mildred Jefferson said, the first black woman to graduate from Harvard Medical School who started the National Right to Life Committee and made Reagan pro-life. And she said, today it is the unborn child. Uh, tomorrow it is likely to be the elderly or those who are incurably ill. Who knows but that a little later it might be anyone who has political and moral views that do not fit into the new distorted order. Um, if the right to life can be denied to some, why not to others? Um, and so we've been sowing the seeds of our own destruction. And. So you and I share that uh, passion with wanting to wake up the church, but you know you're an Ezekiel, Dr. Ingrid. You're you're a watchwoman, a watchman, and you've been blowing the trumpet, obviously. Um, and our prayer is that enough people hear that warning, um, and actually wake up and engage with us. Um, leave us uh, with some closing thoughts. How can people connect with you, learn more, um, and uh, and and prepare? To pray and educate ourselves about Dobbs versus Jackson with the Supreme Court as well.
1: Oh, excellent. Um, well, I mentioned aplog.org, um, and Charlotte Lozier has quite a bit of good uh, material on their website as well. Um, I would say that you can Google me, but I won't even Google myself because right now there's a lot there's a lot of venom direct, uh, directed at me. Don't, don't Google me, but, but go to one of those two organizations and uh, I think <laughs> you'll, you you'll, you'll really be able to educate yourself. Um, uh, get involved in a, in a um, pregnancy resource center near you. I mean, it, the way that we're going to stop this is by coming alongside these women in crisis. Um, I'm involved in an organization that is full women's health it's, it, it wants to compete with Planned Parenthood in the state of Texas. Right now, Wonderful. we're just four clinics, but we hope to be twenty-five in a couple of. It's called the Source.
0: The Source. Tell us a the little source. bit about that as we end here. That's the exciting. So
1: it it grew out of pregnancy resource centers. So it has it has the Christian basis. It has the um, uh, the desire to come alongside women in crisis and men and, and relationship counseling and mental health counseling. It has all of that. But it uh, has nurse practitioners. It's moving into um, um, full, you know, pap smears and women's health. And I know it's controversial in the pro-life community, but we offer contraception. We feel that if a woman is at risk for a pregnancy, let's stop her from going there so that she um, um, does not um, find herself needing an abortion a year after she came to see us. Um, we, of course, the contraceptive methods that we use are not abortifacient. We're very, very careful about that. But um, we want to do everything Planned Parenthood does, except offer the abortion, but we want to do it in a more, <laughs> yeah. more holistic except way. Separate babies.
0: Yeah, good. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and also uh, uh, transgender hormones. We're not going to do that either.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> <going>. <laughs> Wonderful. The source. Okay. Well, we'll put a, we'll put a link to that uh, in the show notes because I, I think that that is one way that we need to be fighting back is, is having full women's health, full range of care um, from, from the moment you find out you're pregnant especially for women facing unplanned pregnancies so that we can save these children and and love on these families, but walking them through that, that whole cycle. So, well, Dr. Ingrid, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for your passion and your commitment to this cause. Uh, We'll definitely have you back on to talk about more of these, um, the the sort of the arguments with the data and the politics and the medicine, but we appreciate a brave OBGYNs um, (laughs) who are actually fulfilling the Hippocratic Oath and who actually realize that when a woman's pregnant, there are two patients, and your call is to love and take care of them both. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Seth. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: (laughs) Thanks to you guys for joining the show today. Um, uh, Go follow uh, Dr. Ingrid. We'll put the the link in the show notes as well. Go educate yourself. Uh, My belief is that one of the things that we're going to need to do is unify um, OBGYNs and healthcare professionals who are pro-life and understand that they're not going to repeat the eugenic bigotry of Nazism by saying that not all humans are persons. And so we want to unify and connect with those brave OBGYNs. So um, please pray and support um, those types of organizations. If you want to engage more with me online, head on over to SethGruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, e-r.com to sign up for my newsletter, to see my speaking schedule, or to book me for an event as 2022 is filling up fast because great forces are on the move and it spells duty for the individual. And we hope to see you on that battlefield. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted. <laughs>